Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I was thinking that because we've changed the format, that you should do the intro and I should explain the concept to switch up. This is brilliant. Okay, definitely. I'm happy doing this. Um, so, hello, anyone listening. Welcome to Connecting Vague Dots, the revised edition with me, Seth Cox, and my good friend, Jay Pennells. Hello. Um, Jay, do you want to... Tell them what exactly we have done to our original idea. Yes. So, well, we had an original concept that there is um, enough of on the internet now um, that we decided to change it. And... <laughs> That's a terrible way of explaining it. Right, so, that we still have an underlying theme or link between our picks... But now we have four picks instead of three, and it's an odd one out game. So, we haven't actually talked about a scoring system, because obviously it is a competition. So, I would say we get one point for identifying each other's link, and we get two points for getting the odd one out. Lovely, yes, I like that a lot. Okay. So obviously we still are picking film books and t- film books and music. However, we don't have to pick any specific amount of these. That's just the pool that we can pick from. Just general entertainment sphere of stuff. Wow! Woo! That was going so well until the sphere of stuff comment at the end. Entertainment was... sphere of stuff. Yeah. Very well. So well done for that, apart from the sphere of stuff, which I will um, remember and nag you about probably for a couple of weeks. Um, Lovely. But, Can't wait. Yeah, just as a quick example, if I may. Um, so if I was to choose um, people, if we were doing the album out with people, I'd choose, say, Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, Richard Madden, and Jay Pennells. And you'd have to pick the odd one out. Richard Madden is by far the ugliest. Yes, um, that was uh, that was what I was going to say. Actually, um, actually, I think I w- I might have picked Colin Firth uh, as the odd one up because he he hasn't seemed to have much of an influence in the last year. Whereas obviously you, Richard Madden, and Hugh Grant have. I'm just um, looking up who Richard Madden is because I. <laughs> oh him! Oh, it... I forgot. I forgot about him. He's yes. probably. Oh, disgusting to look at. Yuck. Red Wedding. Do you know who I actually meant to say? I didn't mean to say... That was a voice crack there. That was fun. What, from you? Do you know who I meant to say? (laughs) I I actually meant to say that that guy from um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier. What, the guy who plays Bucky Barnes? Yeah, him. It's Sebastian Stan, isn't it? Yeah. Have you been watching that? No, I haven't. (gasps) It's good. Is it? Better than um, WandaVision. Surely not. It's slow to start and then it builds and it it's better than WandaVision now at this point. How many more episodes are, are there to go now? One. One more. I, sh- I put my hand up and then immediately realised it's an audio podcast. <laughs> yeah. can see it. Exciting times. Um, speaking of Hugh Grant as well, actually, if you're going to do a bit of spiel about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Hugh Grant spotted in Froome, of all places. Yeah, um... But that was reported by the BBC, and no. What do you mean, and no? The BBC should not 
be doing like tabloid sun style things about a celebrity was spotted some in some random bit of Somerset. To be fair, I saw it on Somerset um their paper, which I I Somerset Times. Yeah, if they the... talked about it, absolutely fine. That makes a lot of sense. But I saw it this morning as a BBC headline. Ooh. And that's just a stupid look for the BBC. Yes, I do understand where you're coming from with that, actually. It's like, this famous person went to buy a piece of bread. A famous no, a English roll. man was spotted somewhere in England. Buying a sausage roll. Yeah. No one, no one cares, apart from the locals. So yeah. it should be a local reported thing. The BBC should... No, stop. This is dumb. But obviously me and Jay are allowed to report it because we are fairly local to Froome, so, you know. Yeah, we're, we're basically from Froome. That's our justification. Right, well, that was very... <laughs> God, we're going on tangents already today. Yes, we are. Yeah, no, that was very... Um... This is fun. Well, those were quite quick tangents for us, quite quick and concise. Which... Yeah, um, they they have been. There've been a lot of tangents already, but they've all all been like one minute long. Yeah. Let's, so let's try stick to that. Keep I would hate to timestamp our conversations. <laughs> Can you imagine? Because there are people who do that in like times, you know, like in podcasts where they mm. talk about the po- the points then which they touch on. Yeah. And you go, I would absolutely hate to try and do that with us that would be the worst thing in the world yeah and then i think you'd have to jump between a lot so it would be like 115 for a talk about hugh grant and then we might mention him later on so it'll be and 40 40 minutes 55 just to just to recap hugh grant you know i mean let's not do that i'm gonna try to do that now um <laughs> do you want to do you want to are you gonna re but the the timestamps are wrong because we didn't bring him up at 115 we brought them up like five minutes in. Actually, oh, nice. if the timestamps on the current recording stay in the final recording. So maybe we did bring him up at one fifteen. Well, we're going to have to. You're Are you going to edit the podcast to to make it so that we bring him up at one fifteen. That would be that would be a good idea. And then that would be a waste of time. Also bring him up again at 4058 or whatever I said. But I'm going to do that and just put a timestamp on it. Really? Yes, I actually am. I said, it won't take long. It won't take long. I'll just have to cut all the bits with you speaking out, and then I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, fair enough. Right, there we go. Shall we give it a go, then? Shall we give what a go? What are we giving a go? The CBD... <laughs> the podcast? The podcast, yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what we were doing. Yeah, no, let, let's, let's, actually, let's actually give it a go, because I'm actually, actually very excited about this, actually. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm quite excited about it. I I I can't wait to see how much this isn't going to work. <laughs> well, like, other idea. This week is actually good, and it would have worked in the old pot in the old version of the podcast as well, which is a shame because it's a genuinely good link. That is a shame because if this turns out to be a shit show, we won't upload it, and then your link will never be known I ever. No, I was so I was so pleased with it as well. Wow, I what wow. It's all right. Anyway, it's too late. You've picked it up. You've picked let's it up. have your four. Okay. Yes. So um, I'm going to just list my four for Jay's benefit and the listeners' benefit. So you can just jot. I'm going to write these down because I want to get this. 
Okay, right. I will win this because I don't usually win. <laughs> right, you ready? Yeah. Pen poised? Yeah. Life of Pi. Life of Pi, the tiger movie. Yes. Uh, Mouse, spelled M-A-U-S, the Art Spielgman graphic novel. The um, Jewish mice in um, concentration camps. Yes. Poor explanation, but we'll come back to that. It's not actually Jewish mice in concentration camps. No, it's, a, it's an allegory, but... Yes. What I mean. For note purposes, that, that serves well. Um, Twin Fantasy by Car Seat Headrest, the album. Oh, great. I um, have not listened to this. That's, that's going to be fun. <laughs> um, actually, I think you've recommended this to me before. And Oh no, we had it on one of the... Um, I, might, I might have heard it. We might have had it on one of the uh, Crystal Radio things that we did that were naff. Yes, I think we, we did have... A cosset rest on there. Yes, we did. Um, and finally, Animal Farm, where you're more in your element with Animal Farm, hopefully, because you're big. Yes, <laughs> I like Animal Farm. Oh yeah, and because you like it. Yeah. Good bit of communism. Yes. Right. Come on then. Hit me with your four. Okay, my four is The Martian. Oh, okay. Interesting. Underrated or overrated? What do you think? Yeah. Um, and then we've also got Folklore by Taylor Swift. Right, okay. I know a couple of people who will be very happy that you chose that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good Omens. Oh. With uh, uh, Neil Gaiman and uh, Taylor Pratchett, of course. Yes. And then Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Okay, right. Yes, immediate thoughts then. Um, can I do my immediate thoughts with yours? Yes, please do. There appear to be two red herrings that are jumping out at me right from the get-go. Well, there can't be two red herrings. Is there any... Can't there? Can't there be a pair of herrings? I, can't there be a pair of herrings? Well, I mean, considering it's supposed to be an odd one out, if there are two that are odd, odd and out... Oh, right, yes. Yes, I see what you mean, but... It seems like you've tried to throw me off twice, is what, is what I meant. Yeah, that's exactly what I've tried to do. Yes, with the good in Goodwill Hunting and Good Omens immediately, and um, Matt Damon in The Martian and Goodwill Hunting. Yes. So that's going to be enough. See, I tried to make mine fairly... Um, this is the first time we've tried this, so I tried to be fairly um, kind to you. But go on, what are your initial impressions of my list? What do you think might be the imposture? Well, um, I think that's your picks are really interesting because um, Mouse and Animal Farm, I immediately see uh, a connection in that both um, like anthropomorphized allegories. Mm. Um, Twin Fantasy, I have no, I I don't know anything about it at all, and Life of Pi, I haven't read it or seen it. I've only seen the bits that we saw in music in the year seven, which was like seven, eight years ago. So okay, right. But I, I know that the tiger. I, I, I assume, I kind of am guessing that there's some element of allegory in there somewhere, but I don't know. So my immediate thought is twin fantasies, the odd one out, but that is not what I'm going to. 
I'm gonna. I'm not gonna hedge my bets. Okay, good. And my immediate thought with yours is probably folklore. Really? Okay. Just because it's the only one that I can't draw links between, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. So I'm going to circle that and we'll see if we were correct. So are we going to now dive in and explain our things a little bit more? Yeah, let's let's do that. Okay, right. So talk to me about twin fantasy, please. Oh, yeah, you want to jump straight in with that one so you can... Yeah, you're right. Well, I reckon this is I reckon this is how we should do it. We should like circle out the ones that we're not sure of, and then investigate them one by one. I reckon that's how this should work. That's nice. Almost like Cluedo, you know. Yeah, that's good. We're, we're like being detectives. We're like puzzling out the thing. Okay, good. I I enjoy that. Okay, so Twin Fantasy um, by Car Seat Headrest, I think is one of the best-selling albums of the 2010s i think it was released in 2018 and jay you're my friend and we recommend each other things and about two percent of the time we we listen to each other about our recommendations but can this fall within that two percent please i'll see what i can do okay good i'd like you to listen to it it's only an album so it'll take about an hour um yeah my goodness it is just so bloody good there isn't a bad track on it which you don't get with many albums as mm. we talk about quite a lot um it's got the the lead singer of Carsey headrest has this really distinctive voice when you've heard him once you'll know him anywhere it's a very tight sounding album it's all together um and you've got two songs on it that are 15 minutes long which is a, a very long song um but they're divided so that they're in three parts each 15 minute song is in three parts so it doesn't feel too long at all and that will honestly beach life and death i think it's the first uh 15 minute song and that will absolutely fly by um it's brilliant and the album art for it as well is is lovely so it's um two we don't know what animals they are they look like foxes but it's all sort of drawn to make it look we, we don't know what animals they are and we don't know what what feature is where because it's one of those things, I think it was designed to the more you look at it, the more confused you are about it. Because the lines don't quite um, add up. And the perspectives. What did you just drop? Was that a pen? I dropped my pen. <laughs> <laughs> I was fiddling around with it on my leg and it just fell. That was brilliant. You look like a naughty boy in class where you're just looking for the opportune moment to pick it up. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah, that was brilliant. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's got great album art. Great songwriting in general it's called Carsey Headrest a band's called Carsey Headrest or but it's basically just this one guy because he wrote this album in the back of a car oh that's cool it's absolutely and when you listen to the album it does not sound like one that was written in the back of the car at all but do you have any any other questions about it have I have I left anything um that you'd like I'm now really confused um well, I'm not confused necessarily. The thing you talked about with long tracks reminds me of American Idiot, mm. because but American Idiot does it in a in a very punky way. In that they put about three songs together because the songs were all about a minute forty each. Yeah, and they thought that if they had like seventeen tracks that were all two minutes long, it would be a bad look. So they just squished them all together. 
Yeah, it's nice. It's a good way. And I think actually lots of bands do that when they're performing live anyway. They stitch songs together. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a nice way of performing. Mm. Um, it just looks... I mean, in the case of American Idiot, I just think it looks a bit stupid. Yeah, because they've got the slash. They've got the um, forward yeah. slash between the... Yeah. Because, like, you've, you've put three songs into one song, so it it does it does have that punky feel on American Idiot. Mm. Just go, you weren't trying very hard. You can't sustain a song for longer than two and a half minutes. Yeah. You you lads are useless. And they're still making music, and it's gotten worse. Oh, it's, it's gotten a lot. I haven't heard any good Green Day, or, yeah, good Green Day for um, a long time. But no, I, I think it's different. Good Green Day for at least 15 years. <laughs> I, only yeah. got regi- I only got introduced to Green Day about six years ago. <laughs> Brilliant. That doesn't quite add up, do the maths, but No, it's the that's the joke. <laughs> um no, but I think um Twin Fantasy is different because obviously even if you break up the fifteen minute song into its three parts, you've still got three five minute songs, which is still perfectly acceptable, I think. Yeah. Okay. Well I'll give I I want to give that a listen at some point and then um I'll I'll talk to you about it because that sounds interesting. I'm interested by the cover art as well now, the way you talked yeah. about that. That sounds... I don't know. It's My brain is saying Picasso, and I don't know why. It is a... Yes, and it is a bit. The features are in the wrong place, and it's um, it's basically two animals, whatever they are, hugging, um, but there's only three arms between them, but that's not evident on first glance. It takes a lot of looking at to realise. I think that might actually only be two arms between the two of them. But it takes a while to to decipher. Okay, that's cool. I'm intrigued by that. Do you uh, want to ask me about one of mine next, or shall I ask you about a different one of yours? I think I will ask you about Folklore, then, as that was the one that didn't seem to have tie-on with any of the others. Okay, so I was listening to Folklore just now, actually. Mm. I was listening to it last night as well, when I was having tea. Taylor Swift works really fucking hard. <laughs> She's sort of non-stop. She's a machine. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, and this album is probably some of her best work, I think it's fair to say. Also, going back to her roots a little bit, in a way, away from the the poppy roots of something like 1989 mm. and yeah. Lover. Um, it's really good. The The tempo of it, the pacing of it is really nice. The first three tracks, I think, are such a strong opening to an album. Mm. It's so impressive. I think it won Best Album, didn't it, at the Grammys this year? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, That's very well deserved. There's like some really great tracks on it. It's co-written by, um, I think his name is Andrew Dessner, mm-hmm. um, who co-writes w- are with a lot of Taylor Swift material, I think. Uh, it's pretty much written entirely by those two. Mm-hmm. Um, the, f- the whole feel of the album is, is, r- is really, really nice, and obviously it was followed up like two months later by Evermore, which is also an incredibly strong album. Evermore. I haven't listened to Evermore actually. 
Mm. That, like, Taylor Swift, like, this last, like, 12 months of Taylor Swift releasing things has been incredible. <laughs> yes. Because it's been, like, three albums in a, in a year. Mm. And they're all really good. And, and she had a, a, a Disney Plus um, documentary as well. Have you seen that one? Yeah, that was, uh, I haven't seen it, but it was about the making of Folklore, I think. Like yeah, the studio was. sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's supposed... I probably will watch that at some point. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I really liked Folklore. And, you know, I'm not actually a massive fan of Taylor Swift, only because um, everyone I'm around um, in my flat seems to overplay her quite a lot. Um, mm. So you sort I... of... Yeah. For a long time, I was one of those idiots who was in the camp of automatically disliking Taylor Swift because of how popular she was. Mm, I think that's possibly what happened with me as well. Yeah. So I, I sort of went, oh, Taylor Swift, ugh, she's rubbish and stupid and mainstream mm. and all that guff mm. without having really listened to it. Yeah. And I actually went, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. And one day I sat down and listened to 1989 and I went, oh. Oh, why? Why have I been hating this without mm. listening to it? It's really good. Mm. It's, it's like with a lot of mainstream things, you forget that they're mainstream for a reason. Um, well, Justin Bieber isn't. No, Justin well, trash. Yeah, no. There's a there's a few um, exceptions. He's just had a new album as well, hasn't he? Not, yeah, not a very rubbish. good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he sa- but, he samples like two sections of Martin Luther King talking. Yeah, the album's called Justice, and none of the songs on the album have any link to the theme of Justice at all. He uses Martin Luther King speech samples that then don't tie into anything on the album, and the beats are all, like, the the beat tracks are all bland. His singing is quite bland and very repetitive on the same subjects. It's really... Not a strong album in the least. <laughs> uh, he's very um, auto-tune heavy as well, isn't he? I think that comes through sometimes. Yeah. Um, which always takes away a, a, a something from from an album. Um, yeah, I, that was, that's peculiar about the Martin Luther King excerpts. I feel like if you're going to do that, A, have a reason, and B, have a bloody good reason. Because you yeah. can't... You can't just... It's like name-dropping him at the start. Just, oh, it's very peculiar. That's it. It's how the album opens. And I feel like a lot of... If it was a... If basically, if Justin Bieber was a black artist, I think it would be fair to say using Martin Luther King samples, although you would still want them to justify it, mm you'd give them more leeway oh def- yeah that's another thing but it's but Justin Bieber it's not American <laughs> it's white you know very privileged yeah and uses this iconic figure it for no reason whatsoever just seemingly for clout is <laughs> rubbish mm. yeah um right going back to folklore um, yes, please. The, the co-writer, what did you say their name was? I think it's Andrew Dressner. Andrew Dressner. Is that the one from The National, the band? 
the National? Do you know? Because I remember hearing that he wrote the front man for the National, co- co-wrote a lot of her stuff, so I think that might be the same same Poss- guy. Possibly, yes. Yeah. Okay, I think it is. Um, well... Mr. Pendles, I think I, I've got it. Okay. Right. Are you sure? Do we only have one guess? Yes. Okay. I think I'm going to leave it because I can choose what I ask you about next, can't I? Yeah, yes. See, that's brilliant because then I feel like I know I know quite a lot about Good Omens and Good Will Hunting. And now I know enough about folklore, but I need to ask you about The Martian. Um because that's the only unknown at the moment. Yeah, I just need to to get it back up on my phone because I was googling it earlier today. Just to... <laughs> shall we jump straight to talking about the Martian then? Um, yeah, go on then. Let's let's jump straight to talking about the Martian. Yeah. So just to remind listeners, uh, Jay's four again was uh, the Martian, folklore, good omens, and good old hunting. Um, yep. And now we'll talk about the Martian. So the Martian obviously um well maybe not obviously but matt damon starring film Mm. uh this is very what is what would be known as i think hard science fiction um in that it sticks very close to actual science it's based on the novel by andy weir um also got jessica chastain and oh yeah sean bean's in it i forgot that Scene yeah. Yeah. Directed by Ridley Scott, who, yes. of course, has made many, many incredible films over the years. Um, did I say the novel it was based on by Andy Weir? I did, didn't I? Yes, you did say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was adapted by um, Drew Goddard. And I remember it came out, and I, I just remembered this. It got nominated for like the best comedy at the Golden Globes. I think I remember seeing that as well, actually. Like, it's quite a funny film, but it's not a comedy. No, definitely. Sorry, going back to the cast, is Donald Glover in it as well? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He's um, he's one of the physicists who works out the trajectory for the comeback rocket, I think. That's one of the main bits I remember from the film. That's not Donald Glover, but that um, whole diagram with trying to get him back home well that's what it's all about isn't it because he's basically essentially yeah because because it's what is dubbed as hard science fiction i believe um i think it comes from the um isaac asimov stuff is is a what a basis that has in where they're like predicting like a realistic ish science fiction stories as opposed to stuff like Blade Runner, which yeah. obviously links back to Ridley Scott in that um, Philip K. Dick. It's based on a Philip K. Dick story. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought. Yeah, so there's basically two threads of the story. There's um, Matt Damon stranded on um, Mars making poo potatoes. <laughs> and then there's... Uh, Everyone back home doing their doing their thing to try and get him back. I've yeah. been trailing off heavily. I really like it as a film, actually. How long is it? Do you know? It's, it's about two hour mark, is it? I think so. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. I, I remember, um, yeah, no, I've seen it once, but never really, um, it's not one of my favourite films, but then I, I like, it's, it's an enjoyable watch. I, I did, I did like it. Yeah, and, it's, it's, it's not one of my, it's not a film that would go into my favourites category, like Good Will Hunting does. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, I do think it's a really good film. Okay, good. See, that's helped me quite a lot, although it also hasn't helped me much, because I feel like um, The Martian, you say, is hard science fiction. Then you've got folklore, which has folk in it, lore in it, so, like, something to do with, like, folk stories, do you know what I mean? And then you've got Good Omens, which is obviously, like, this sci-fi fantasy, which has really thrown me off, because I was going to say, and I still am going to say, I'm going to make my guess now, is that okay? Um, yeah, go on, then, make, make, make your guess, Seth. Okay. So I was just checking that the Martian wasn't co-written because all your other three, after learning about folklore, which is lucky I chose that first because I would not have um, mm. known it was co-written. Um, but all the other three are um, famously co-written. Guild of Hunting is obviously Baffleck and um, Matt Damon, and Good yep. Omens, as you say, is Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Is that? Yep, that that is that is the link. Brilliant. So, odd one out with the Martian. Yep. Three points to you, Seth. Well, that's, well done. That's very satisfying. That's a good link from you, Jay. I like that. I, I was quite pleased with that link when I when I was thinking of it. Yeah, it's very nice. Folklore was honestly like if I hadn't have interrogated you about that first, I would have been in a sticky situation. I was I was thinking earlier today about picking Simon and Garfunkel like Bridge Over Troubled Water or something like that. And I looked out who the who the writers were on it, and it basically said all songs were written by Paul Simon unless stated otherwise. <laughs> Our car <laughs> uncle didn't write it. Didn't write anything. He was That's quite surprising. Just That's the reason they split up, I think. <laughs> Paul Simon had basically gotten to the point where he was working with a grumpy, useless man who didn't contribute enough to the duo so Paul Simon just went, sod you I'm going to go work for myself Yeah, I mean I've, yeah, he definitely was the uh, was the driving force behind Simon and Garfunkel it's, it's interesting, I, I think I remember hearing that, um, well Garfunkel was the lower voice wasn't he in Simon and Garfunkel Yeah, because Paul Simon famously could only actually sing about an octave's range, but it was a very high up octave so he couldn't get any of the low notes. So yeah, I mean, he con- he contributed something, but nothing to the songwriting. Now I don't think. No, I think Aunt Garfunkel is a a much weaker link in yes. that pairing. Almost Unlo- a leech. Hmm. Bordering on a leech. B- bordering, yeah. Just trying to think of other like pairings where they are much more equally matched. Um. I can't immediately uh, think of something along those lines. <sighs> For some reason, Morecambe and Wise springs to mind. I was like, thinking of all of those people, like Laurel and Hardy and, and people like that. But yeah, because I mean... but it's a it's a different dynamic. But mm. they're definitely on a on a par in terms of talent. Yeah, Fry and Laurie. Fry and Laurie. There we go. Perfect. Yeah. Right, well, what, which one of my choices do you now want to interrogate me about? Okay, let's talk about Life of Pi for a little bit. 
I think. I thought you'd go to that one, actually. Because I, I don't know much about Life of Pi, so um, inform me, Seth. Well, I mean, from a directorial stance, you probably quite like it. Ang Lee, isn't it? It is Ang Lee, and you like Ang Lee for um, Sense and Sensibility, don't you? Yeah, that's a brilliant film. But yes, um, so Ang Lee directs it. Um, lots of CG. I, I remember something. I should have looked this up, but it's pretty much all CG, isn't it? It's like the Jungle Book in that you've got your central protagonist and pretty much everything else is CGI. Um, which I have mixed feelings about in general, um, but it works well enough for Life of Pi. The animals especially look very good. Um, they look very lifelike, or at least they did when I last watched it. Um, probably about when it came out. Um, but yeah, so Life of Pi, it's similar to The Martian in that it's, you've got um, someone stranded on, mm. on a boat this time, um, a, a little rowing boat um, in the ocean because uh, one of their ships capsized and they got away on a lifeboat and they're stuck on this lifeboat. And they're stuck on the lifeboat initially with, you've got a tiger, um uh, an orangutan and I think it's a hyena and you're, you're stuck with and you've got Pi who's a protagonist and he's stuck with these three animals on, on the boat and you sort of work out the politics of the boat fairly quickly I mean you've got the, the, the tiger who um, embodies this authoritative role obviously as he would because he's the most sort of domineering and he sort of resolves the conflicts between the other three. And you've got Pi also, who is this mediator um, be- between um, the animals. Um, it's it's very it's very strong. I think it did actually get me at the end of it. It, it sort of hit the hit the emotional heartstrings a bit with um I'm not gonna spoil it, but but yeah it did. And Pi basically reflects on on his life as you would, because he's probably about to die as he's on the boat. Um, so, so you get lots of flashbacks, but it's it's very well done. I think the more I'm talking about, it, the more I want to rewatch it. So I probably will. Um, and yeah, it's revealed at the end. This isn't necessarily a spoiler because you get the feeling early on because you think it's quite fantastical, isn't it? Being stuck on a boat with a tiger and orangutan and a hyena, mm. and with all of the CG, um, beautiful-looking sets. You think is this like? actually happening um and at the end pi sort of says he admits that he created the animals and in fact they were people he says in fact the 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 tiger was um the sailor and the orangutan was the cook and he was actually stuck on a boat with these three people who were trying to kill each other um and they weren't in fact animals but he made them up to be animals in his head but even at the end you don't know if he's just saying that so he's not going to be like questioned too much about it because probably no one believes him, or if he's telling the truth. But um, it's 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 an interesting one. Ambiguous ending. I like that. Nice. I want to go away and watch that now. Good. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I know your link and the odd one out now as well. Mm. Yes. Cool. So. Let's let's go let's go through the the things. So let's start with Animal Farm. Mm, yeah, just one of the very earliest forms of animals being used as allegories. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, for communism, just it was written just after 
Second World War um, as basically a way of criticising the Soviets. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they and there you have the hierarchy of the pigs are the smart ones, the horse is the worker, the the what is it the um, You've got the the sheep who are the sort of followers. Yes. Um, populists. Almost. Yeah. Um, so, yes. Mouse, which we haven't really talked about, and I think is something I know about because I've um, heard Nil Game is one of the earliest forms of a graphic novel format, isn't it? Yeah, I'm one of the most famous still today, I think. Yeah. Um but I think it I think it's actually for people who know about graphic novels, they've probably heard of it. Mm. But I think if you haven't if you don't know a lot about graphic novels, you probably might not because it's quite intense. Mm. Yeah. In that it is do you want do you want to expand on it a little bit? Because it is again that form of animal allegory. Yeah, so I think maybe people don't think of it. Um, if you don't know graphic novels, you won't think of it because it's not in that form that we associate with graphic novels, which is sort of the DC stuff where you've got fa- fantasy, isn't it? That's what we associate mm. with graphic novels. Whereas this, um, it's it's biographical. Um, it's it's an account of. Um, a man talking to his father about his father's experiences um, as a Jew during World War II. Um, and in the comic, the Jews are represented by mice um, and the Nazis by cats. And there's some other animals in there, I feel, aside from mice and cats. Um, but I can't quite remember. I think the rich Jews, actually, the wealthy Jews, are... Um, different animals altogether but i'll have to check that um but yeah so you've got um yeah different sort of social classes um sects if you like or different yeah peoples um being um conveyed by animals which is what we've got in animal farm as well and as you rightly say life of pie yeah and whereas twin fantasy is a bit of a red herring in that the cover art but Mm. at the end of the day it is not uh, using that to tell a specific story. Well, very good. Yes, three points to you as well. It looks like we've probably drawn this one. Um, yeah. Shall we quickly just brush over Good Omens and Good Will Hunting in brief, just for those who because we did we did that with um, Mouse and Animal Farm a bit. So um, yeah, sure. Let's... You're thinking let's start with Good Will Hunting with um, Ben Affleck and. Um, yeah, that Matt Damon and their writing experience with that. Yeah, so um, I can't remember if... See, for some reason, my brain is now telling me that Goodwill Hunting is adapted from something. But I don't know that it is. Part of me thinks it is as well. Does best original... It won best original screenplay, didn't it? Yeah, so I'm guessing it must. it must not be. Yeah, that would make sense. Which is confusing me. Because I swore by that it could have been. Anyway, so it tells the story of um, a young Matt prodigy working mm. as a janitor 
at some high level university or whatever who has lots of issues related to antisocial behavior and I don't, don't want to give away something later revealed in the film but he goes he is forced to go to therapy sessions to basically not go to jail and also receive um become part of the maths university as a as their prodigy so he's counseled by the late great robin williams in an oscar-winning role for him probably one of his best on-screen performances ever yeah yeah it's incredibly tightly written and it's one of my favorite films ever yeah oh uh, yeah it's brilliant um famous as well for the well, that's robin williams i don't think you get robin williams into a film without expecting him to go off script a lot um so it's 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 famous for its um it's authentic improvisational scenes as well, isn't it? There's a there's a bench scene early on in the film where Robin Williams talks about um, the the his wife. Mm. Who, um, it's it's early on revealed in the film that his wife had passed away, um, and so he gives uh, like a semi improvised anecdote about um, the relationship. That his character had with his wife and it's it's famous for matt damon's very characteristic laugh because yeah. matt damon has um when he's laughing like fully or um when it's his full normal laugh it's quite um it's wheezy isn't it yeah it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's unique in its sound yeah it's a very touching film and it's mm. very funny. I I really really love it. Yeah, it's it's one of the good ones for sure. Yeah, it's probably the best thing either to either of Ben Affleck or Matt Damon has ever done. Yeah, I've... Matt Damon has a lot more hits in his back cat back catalogue, like um, the Bourne films. Mm, yeah, and the Ocean's films as well. I suppose some of those are very good as well. Ben Affleck um, has been in many, many duds. Yeah. He's, yeah, he yeah. He was in Gone Girl, so that's good. Gone Girl was pretty good, yes. But I mean, most of... I think most of his back catalogue is less impressive. I think he directs a lot of his own stuff, doesn't he? And He takes a very active role um, whenever he's in a film. Yeah. yeah, there was a big um, hoo-ha about Gone Girl when he was <laughs> about what, the wearing of a baseball cap <laughs> and that he's from Boston and he was asked to put on like a, a New York Yankees cap and he basically refused See I can't even imagine what that film process was like because you've got David Fincher who's one of the most scrupulous directors ever and Ben Affleck, who is, you know, likes to take the driving seat as well. I imagine it was quite a tense environment. Yeah. And they've never worked with each other since, which is 
unusual for Fincher because he likes to bring. He's got like a cast that he chops and changes between. Fincher has a pool of people he likes to choo- pick and choose from. Mm, yeah. Dave Fincher is quite remarkable. It's just horribly underrated, isn't it? No. Well, he's not underrated. He's not talked about a huge amount, I think. But I think whenever you do talk about him, everyone I know says he's made some bloody good stuff. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. It's never up there on the Oscar lists, is it? I don't think he's one of the directors that's never won an Oscar. And his, I don't think his, many of his films have at all. No. No, I'm, I don't think so. He's not, exa- he's not like mainstream appeal, but in terms of a craftsman, mm. he, is, he is a craftsman. There is, that is all there is to say about it. He's very much an auteur. Yeah, in the way that someone like Kubrick was. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then, obviously, your fourth option, Good Omens, which have we spoken about before? Probably, maybe. Um, so. I don't know if we've spoken about it on the podcast before. Yeah, yeah. That but, be um, yeah. The book, I admit, I haven't actually read. <laughs> I have it over there. I borrowed it from one of my flatmates. Um, with the full intention of reading it at some point. Yeah. But I haven't gotten around to it yet. But I've watched the Amazon show, mm. which is incredibly well done. Shall we say, actually, just whilst we're on the topic of the Amazon show, happy birthday to David Tennant. He's 50 today. Oh, yeah. I saw that earlier. This is um, this is going out in two days' time, so... Oh, yeah. Well, he was 50 this week. This In this, this seven-day... This, this past weekend. Yes, let's say that, yeah, yeah. 50, though. He's looking good on 50, isn't he? He's aged very gracefully. He really has. Um, which reminds me, I still need to watch Staged. But yes, um, Good Omens is obviously Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett. Um, and did you ever read the Just William books? By, no. You know of Just William? I've heard of Just William, yeah. Yes, it's sort of, I can't remember, it's like written by someone called Richard Crompton, I think, or something like that. Anyway, and it's about a sort of a group of eight-year-old boys. It's very endearing, like it's, it's, Mm. um, it's really lovely. And I think Terry Pratchett takes a lot, well, Terry Pratchett writes all of the um, stuff with the Antichrist and his group of friends, doesn't he? Yeah, I think, um, I think that is how they basically divvied up. So Gaiman did the four horsemen uh for i can't remember how he talked about it i think he gaming did the four horsemen up until they got to the airfield and then they swapped yeah and then and then once they'd done the first draft then they basically swapped again Mm. and went and did a redraft i think it was quite a mad time for them both because Terry Pratchett was coming into the limelight with Discworld and Gaiman was coming into the limelight with Sandman. Mm, Yeah. And so they were both just sort of rushing about (laughs) and having fun with this other dumb project that they were doing together. Yeah. It's it's probably one of those things where if they hadn't have written it together, it probably wouldn't have been written at all because they were so busy. Um, 
yeah. Yes. Well, the, um, Neil Gaiman often tells a story of how um, Terry Pratchett offered to buy the original, like five thousand word chap, basically like the first chapter mm. of the demons comparing evils. Yeah. And Gaiman says to him, Gaiman Gaiman says often that Terry said. I'll either buy the the story, the idea off you, or we can write it together. And so they ended up writing it together. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it's really good. It's really funny. Um, so, yeah, good recommendation. Do give that a read. But, I mean, yeah, we're pretty much at the end of our podcast now, aren't we? Yeah, and we haven't mentioned Hugh Grant again. Oh, well, I should say... Um, how can I tie Hugh Grant into any of these? Um, I can't, but I well, did... Well, actually, you can. Because we were talking about Life of Pi, which was directed by Ang Lee, and Hugh Grant was also in Sense and Sensibility, which is by Ang Lee. Yes, I should have already mentioned him then, yeah, absolutely. I also watched Bridget Jones' um, Edge of Reason last night for the first time. Is that the time. second one? It's the second one, yeah. And the shittest one. It wasn't very good, no. Um, <laughs> there was a moment where Rennie, that where Bridget Jones was in a cell with um, a group of uh, like abused, exploited women um, from one of the developing um, nations. I can't remember which one. And um, she was playing them Madonna and like giving them white goods. And it was very, it was right tone on the end. Tone deaf? Pardon? That sounds like it would be very tone deaf. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was exactly that. It was one of those things where you're watching it and you couldn't, like, you couldn't really say, oh, that's wrong, you shouldn't be doing that. But then you just feel really uncomfortable watching it. Um, and it has lots of things. The thing with Bridget Jones is there seems to be this, um, the writers or... And everyone just love to call Bridget Jones fat all the time. Um, and that really is just, it feels horrible because A, it's Rennie Zellweger. I don't think anyone would call Rennie Zellweger fat, but they make it like this ongoing thing. I, she, I, she did always put on a lot of weight to, to play Bridget Jones. Because Bridget Jones is a, she's not, Bridget Jones is not slim. <laughs> No, she's not. But, but it's not comment. You can't just comment on a. Everyone just calls it as like her defining trait, like all oh, the the fat girl, the punk girl. Yeah, it's a bit tactless. Yeah, it feels very. Um... I, what I think is incredible about Renee Zellweger is Bridget Jones' Diary came out in two thousand one. Chicago came out in two thousand and two. Blimey! It's like, oh wow, <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's a transformation and a half. Not just Christian Bale who can do that, then. Yeah, well, yeah. So, we that's some dedication right there. Mm, yeah. Christian Bale is incredible, though, as well. With that stuff, he really is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christian Bale is also very strange to me because of the way of his natural speaking voice is so distant from any speaking voice he has in any other piece of medium that he's in. I really want to hear his natural speaking He's Welsh. Really? The man is Welsh. My goodness. I have no idea. That is crazy. incredible. 
That's ridiculous. Because when he goes and does um, promo for the films and stuff that he's in, he usually does it in the same accent as he <laughs> as he uses in the film. That's very peculiar. So, so when you catch him when he's not doing that, he sounds really, really different. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I forget with um. Actually, linking back to Rani Zellweger, actually. She's American, isn't she? Yes. But she seems to be always cast as a British girl in British films, like um, Miss Potter and Bridget Jones, you know. But you just... She's got a very convincing British accent. You wouldn't question it, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just looking out my window. I think somebody um, is trying to give someone a jump start. <laughs> Always entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that is exactly what they're doing. Okay, right. No, I need to stop focusing on that. Right. Well, we've done... I hope people have enjoyed this, if they've listened to the end. If you have listened to the end, thank you very much. Well yeah. done. Give yourself a biscuit. Um, give us... I want to... I would be interested to know um, if this new format works hmm. that would be nice i thought i thought this was a uh, i thought this was quite good i I'm... think it worked i think it we i think we need to make it very tricky for each other is one yeah of i think we need to throw each other off a bit more because i feel like if it's on the surface what will happen is we'll keep getting it after two choices because i'll keep going okay that one looks wrong from the outset i'll question you about that one and then i'll question you about another one i've got an inkling about and then after that I'll probably have decided. So I think we need to make it... We need, we need to make it way it. more cryptic. I think we do, yeah. Which is yeah. going to be fun. Um, for, for, for us, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> for us at least. <laughs> we play a game. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, anyway, yes. Goodbye from me. Yeah, it is goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>